All right. Good morning, Grace Point. <clears throat> I'm so glad all of you are here today. Uh, you, you heard a little bit about today, how it's a little bit special. Um, just w- want to welcome you. If this is your first time here, this is not a normal Sunday, but we do things like this um, from time to time, uh, something a little bit different. But um, just one of the things i just let you know about who we are. Um, a lot of people, they hear me say this almost every week. Um, we're glad that you're here, and our whole purpose of what we do here is we just want to inspire you to follow Jesus and, and help you take whatever the next steps are on your spiritual journey. So I don't know where you are, but I'm hopeful that Today we can help you do that. And if, if you're a person that you say, well, I'm not a Christian, I'm not sure exactly what I believe, I, I hope that today will be helpful to you in a number of ways so that you can take some things home with you. Um, so, so today is Pastor Tim's retirement, and so we're doing a, a little bit of a... Uh, Tim's going to come up in a little while when I, when I invite him up. <laughs> um, but I asked Tim to share some memories and how God has worked um, really how he has seen God work and, and he could probably be up here and just take the whole day um, but uh, but he's going to try to to come up a little bit afterwards I just want to share with you a little bit from a, um, a text of scripture that, that really talks about being faithful uh, so if you've got your Bibles open them up to Psalm 127 um, Tim has been here for around 41 years um, he had a little bit, but it's been 41 years. He took a little break to do a little more education in there. Um, so today I really wanted to take a look at how is it that you leave a legacy in the things that you do in life? Um, how, how do you build the kind of family, the kind of relationships where, where you leave something that is really worth leaving? Um, in the 1800s, there was a, a Swedish chemist and his name... Um, was Alfred Noble, and he was largely known as as the inventor and uh, a, a maker of explosives. He had over 350 patents. Uh, he had 90 different factories within uh, over 20 countries, labs in 20 countries. And and the thing that gave him the majority of his wealth was in 18 um, in 1866 he invented dynamite. That was the thing that gave him the majority of his wealth. And in 1888, there was a bizarre event that happened. His brother was in France. And while he was in France, um, his brother Ludwig died. And the French newspapers confused the two brothers, Ludwig and Alfred. And uh, they reported on Alfred in error in in his obituaries. And this is what um, a French obituary said about um, his, his death. Got them confused, right? So the French obituary said, the merchant of death is dead. The paper also said, Dr. Alfred Noble, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. Now, <clears throat> you can imagine the kind of confusion and, and all of that, that that came so when Alfred, sorrowing for his brother... And yet he reads the obituary in the paper and realizes that they were writing it about him who, who was still alive. And he realized that this is how people would remember him. And you can imagine his thoughts. He's thinking, I, I, don't, I don't want to be remembered this way. Um, today, you and I, we all know about this man. He, he's very famous, but we don't know him as being famous for being the creator of dynamite. Uh, we we know him because of the Nobel Peace Prize. He is the one that decided I need to change the focus of my life to focus it on on things that would promote peace and, and goodness. He changed his direction mid path, and he realized this is the direction that I want to go. Um, what would you like to be remembered for? If you really think about it, what do you want to be remembered for? What do you want your life to have been um, about once it's over? A a large part of that depends on how you measure success today. Because how you measure success today is going to to flow into uh, how you are remembered later on in life. And see, here's the thing. We know this. We're in church. Um, Unless God is involved, no matter what it is, it's, it's not going to be significant without his hand in it. There's no lasting significance without God involved. And so my question to you is, is, where is God 
in the most important relationships that you have in, in your life. We've been talking about marriage. We're in a series called Relationship Rehab. Um, but today we're going to focus a little, little different. We want to look at on, on your home, your, your family. Where does God fit in your home and in, in your family? And in Psalm 127, um, it, it starts off in saying it's a song of a sense. It's of Solomon, a song of a sense that, that really meant that there was something that they would sing, they would pray, they would as they were walking up to Jerusalem. And, and it's a it's written by Solomon. And what's interesting is is he probably most likely wrote this earlier on in life because his life looks very different near the end than what he has written down here for us to to understand that that this is what God blesses. Because later on in, in his life, part of his downfall is that he thought it would be politically wise to marry. Um, he's famous for, for having over a thousand wives. But he did that to make political um, connections. And, and many of his, his wives worshipped foreign gods. And this is something that was explicitly prohibited in Scripture. And his wives turned his heart away. And, and so yet... We read this, and it's really interesting that, that Solomon wrote this, but later in his life he, he, he didn't really follow the whole thing. And it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. So at first glimpse, you look at this, it looks like this. the topic is building a house. Um, but really this is about three different op- occupations. It's about building, it's about security, and it's about raising a family. So he says, unless the Lord builds a house, you, you're wasting your time. I've, I've, you guys have probably know many stories like I do with people who are trying to build houses. And I remember one in Summit County down in, uh, in Dillon. We would drive by and and person was going to build a house and it just was an absolute catastrophe. Um, and they weren't able to, to finish. And there's all these stories like this. But, but Solomon's pointing out saying, unless the Lord does it. Um, it's, it's going to be in vain. And he says, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So in those days, they had walls around their cities. And that was what protected your city from raiders at night, from other armies. Um, you would have watchmen standing up and looking and watching and, and keeping guard to protect the city. And yet, there are famous, um, really, I, I don't know, catastrophes that happened to cities because armies found their way around whatever the watchmen were doing and they would overtake the, the city. And so his point is simply this, um, whatever the activity is, if God isn't involved, if, he, if he's not in the center of whatever it is, establishing it, protecting it, well, you can, you can forget it. You could try to guard the city by staying up late and, and, and watching, but if God's not protecting it, you're wasting your time. That's an emptiness. It's, an, it's, it's vain. And, and there's a, that's one approach that we take to the psalm, and, and it's very real, but there's another way to approach the psalm. Solomon liked to write things sort of with um, double meanings. So if you've ever read Song of Solomon or Ecclesiastes, he, he has lots of double meanings in the things he says. And, and when he uses the word house here, um, he's, he's actually referring to the idea, we'll see this later, he's referring to the idea of a family or a legacy. Because in, in the scriptures you read about the house of David or people who were of the house of such and such, and that was really their, their lineage. And, and so what he's really saying here is... is God's involvement in guarding a city is just as important as it is for him to be involved in, in managing a family or, or raising children. Raising children and having God involved in our families is, is just as important as being a, you know, putting watchmen over a city and having God involved in, in that. He says, it's vain for you to rise early, to come home late, and to work so hard for your food. Yes, he can provide for those whom he loves even when they sleep. And the, the, the question, the thing that this is referring to is, is asking us this question, where, where do you find your security? Uh, we, we live in an age of anxiety. Um, we're constantly looking for ways to make our lives more secure. In, in all sorts of different ways. Uh, financial security, we have people we call to help us with that. Um, 
health. We're always looking for more security with our health and what we can do and going to the doctors and all that. Um, we're looking for safety. We're very conscious about that. Um, environmental security. What are we going to do to protect the environment around us and make it secure for future generations? We want to feel safe at home, so we put cameras on our doors so that when somebody rings our doorbell, we can see who that is because we want to be secure. So the question is, where do you find your security? And our society tells us a lot of different ways. But, but one of them is basically, well, just as long as you work hard and you're smart, that's what it takes. You just got to be smart and you have to work hard. And that's not the answer that, that God gives. Yet God says it's vain to rise up early and to stay up late. And in the Hebrew, literally, he says, and to eat the bread of sorrows or um, to eat the bread of anxious toil. And this was just simply a Hebrewism for, for being a workaholic. A workaholic because you actually you fear what could happen. And so you're amassing, you're, you're trying to get as much as you can get because you're worried, what if I don't have enough? What if something happens? All, all of that. Um, that. This is basically just the road to being a, a workaholic. And it's the difference between, there's a difference between working hard and being a workaholic. And I would say that the difference is whether or not you're resting in God in the midst of your work. Are you resting in God and in, in, in all that you do and allowing Him to work through you? When you're trusting God, you can actually rest. You don't have to keep on. You know that He's going to take care of it. It's not all about you and all the, the work that you do. But see, when you work super long hours and you're not trusting God, the end result is you're eating the bread of sorrows. You don't have any rest. It's, it's vanity. It's emptiness. All that hard work leading to all that anxiety and that you don't get to sleep at night because you're worried, has what I've done enough? Have I worked hard enough? Do I have enough? You know, Jesus said something very similar in Matthew on his Sermon on the Mount. He said, so then don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble on its own. You know, we, we've just come through a season, haven't we? Um, where most of the world worried about being sick and dying. I mean, worried. Really anxious about this. But, you know, we're all going to die one day. Unless Christ fulfills His promise on our watch to come and to bring Him to be with ourselves, we're going to die one day. We should know that. The goal isn't to live life and be as healthy as you can in order to postpone dying. You won't find that as a list in Scripture of like the greatest things that we ought to do, the greatest goals. The goal is, are we allowing God's presence in our lives and the things that we're doing? Are we listening to Him? Are we letting Him have His way? Are we, are we bringing glory to Him? Whether we live or whether we die, are we bringing glory to Him? See, it's your relationship with God that matters most. And we get that all flipped upside down. God is able to bless and provide for those He loves even while they sleep. That's what He's saying. And then he says in verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. There's a little shift in nuances here. See, God, God builds a person's house even while they're sleeping. And the idea is, is really conception of children here. perfect example is, is how a child grows in his mother's womb. What is she doing when she's sleeping and that baby is growing? She needs to rest. She needs to sleep. She needs to just let God do His thing in, in her body. And this is where we really find out that the house that Solomon's been talking about, it's really about a family. And so he's talking about building your family, raising your family, leaving a, a kind of family legacy that goes on just past you and your, your working, whatever you can do today. Um, he, he actually calls it, um, he, he, he's, he uses this word, a heritage. What does he call a heritage? A heritage is something that you inherit. Okay, something that's, that's passed down. And he says it's passed down from the Lord. So, what does he call a reward? It's not money. It's not possessions. God's reward, he says, is, is giving us a family. 
letting you have a children. This is part of his design, talking about the, the, the man and woman coming together and they become a family and, and then he may bless them with children and, and that family grows. This is a heritage. And see, we forget this, don't we? Um, those of you who are parents, those of you who are parents who have kids that are adults now, those of you who are parents who have kids who have kids, right? We forget this, don't we? We forget to value the time that God has given us with our children. We get kind of annoyed. They're little. They're noisy. They're messy. You've got to wipe their noses. You have to wipe other things. It's just, you know, and they grow up quickly. And then before you know it, they're gone. So, so let me just ask you something. Just, just take a break and think about this. Are you, are you enjoying the time that you have, the opportunities that you have with your family? Are, are you, if you've got kids that are at home, are you sitting at a table and eating with them regularly? I mean, you don't have to do it like, you know, whatever they thought it was like in the 50s where you ate breakfast and then, you know, you ate dinner and it was every whatever. But are you sitting at a table or are you kind of going everywhere and just doing your own thing? Do you ever sit down and you, you turn off the stuff, you turn off the devices and you sit and you just enjoy each other? See, don't forget. We forget. Don't forget the true treasure that God is giving us in life is, is relationships. It's people. It's being with one another. It's pouring into one another. It's listening. It's praying for one another. It's, it's your family. If you've got a family, that, that's the treasure. And then he says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. They will not be put to shame when they confront the enemies at the city gate. Um, David Kidner, uh, he, he, he's a commentary, he's a Hebrew scholar. He notes that many of God's gifts first come in the form of liabilities or at least responsibilities before they become assets. He's talking about children. Children are a liability at first. They cost you money, time, energy, emotions. And, and the, the, often the greater the potential, he says, the, the greater they are likely to become handfuls before they really are a quiver full. <laughs> he says, blessed is the one whose quiver is full. Well, yeah, sometimes that means that they're a handful. But what God does is He likens children to arrows. For the couple who has children when they're younger, what He's saying is that by the time they're old... Those kids are going to grow up. They're going to be strong enough. They're going to become protectors of the family. They're going to take care of them. They're going to take care of them um, and defend them. I always read this and I thought that the emphasis was um, having lots of arrows. <laughs> Blessed is the man whose, whose quiver is full of arrows. I used to have a friend who had five kids and he talked about, you know how many arrows were in a quiver? There were five. And I'm like, how do you know? If I had a quiver, I'd stuff as many arrows as I could. I'm going to go out there with only five. I'm going to go to battle. I got five arrows. That's all I got. Come on. I always thought that was the, the goal. You know, years ago, I, I knew a family and they had um, eight kids, four older girls, four younger boys. And, and as the kids grew older, the mother was very, very reticent to want to release the kids. It was a kind of a homeschooling, very close family. And she kind of had this thing in her mind as they reached their 20s that you know, she's like, okay, well, I'll, I know what I'll do. I'll pick their husbands for them and then they can live. We'll, we'll buy houses down the road and we can all, it's kind of like a big, jolly, everybody loves Raymond kind of family where everybody, just, the parents can kind of go over anytime they want. And see, there was one day where she was just shocked by this passage because she come to realize that if the children are called to be arrows, what are arrows supposed to do? They're meant to be shot. They're meant to be shot. Archery is a little tricky, isn't it? You ever try it? Just I'm just going to pull it and you just try to do it and then, and then off it goes. I do that every year at the men's retreat. <laughs> it just doesn't go where I want it to go. It takes a lot of practice. There are a number of you in this season right now where you've got your arrows and you're going to get ready to, you've got to learn how to guide them and make them go wherever you think they want to go, where the target is. 
you're in this time where you're going to release the arrow and you've got to watch it fly. And then it's like, where are they going to go? Are they going to go the way that we hope that they go? And you start wondering, did I, did I train them well? Did I give them enough life skills? Do they have what it takes in order to make it on their own? You know what your job is to do as a parent? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your job is, is simply to show them what it means to follow Jesus. And that you show them God's goodness. That's what it is. Whatever their career, whatever, whatever it is, show them Jesus. You know, I, I know this. One of the most difficult things for a, a, a Christian parent is to see their children go and, and, they, and they walk away from Jesus. And, and it's heartbreaking. And it's, it's happened to a number of you in there. But one of the things that we come to realize is that you can't force somebody to believe. Wouldn't be real then. You force them to do that. All you can do is you give them the best that you got. They've got to trust Jesus on their own. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord builds the family, you're laboring in vain. Unless the Lord is the one that is guiding the life, He's got to be the one that does it. You can't be the one to guide their lives the whole, their whole life. You've got to let them go. It's not up to you. If it was up to you, then it wouldn't be up to God to build it. God's got to be the one to do it. You just emphasize loving Jesus. And see, the psalm contrasts two options towards God, either dependence on God or independence. And, and God has made many things clear that if we follow His guidelines, He's going to bless us. But when we think that we can do it our own way, I've done that. You've, you've all done this. We, we do this. And it's just disastrous. It might look good for a little while, but then we see it start to fall apart. And especially when it comes to our families or, or leaving a legacy. See, you are not able to control our political realm. You are not able to change our culture all around us and all the things that you think are bad. Whatever you think, doesn't matter about that one really cool post you put on Facebook. You're not going to change our culture. But you can Line up your life with His principles. You can influence people towards Jesus Christ. And if you've got a family, you can build your house on Jesus Christ. And see, there are many of us today, we would, we would say, yeah, we're, we're dependent on God. We say, I, I want to be dependent on God. I'm trying to do that. But, but there are also things in our hearts that reveal that we're independent. I struggle with that. My independence. I'm, I'm constantly thinking, man, I'm, I'm a mess. Well, how, why don't I just get more dependent on you? And although some of you that, that you, you have been saying, you've been living for Jesus, you really have, but you've also been holding on to worry. You're holding on to Jesus with one hand and then you're worrying with the other hand. And you've got to let it go. He gives rest. You can back off and you just live for the Lord and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to rest in what you're doing. And, and maybe, maybe you're not doing the things that, that God wants you to do. Maybe you're not living His way. Some of you have to begin focusing on, okay, how do I actually build my house? How do I change things so I build my house on the Lord? And see, the best thing you can do is to lean on Jesus and just say, I'm just going to be faithful to you all of my life because I know you're always going to be faithful to me. We just sang that song. All my life you have been faithful. So that's what we do. We say, I'm going to turn back to you. I'm going to leave the results to him. Now, I say this. Today we're celebrating um, what we are celebrating. What I'm celebrating with Tim is an earnest attempt to do these things. It's all you can do. You can't change the outcome. All you can do is try to guide the way. You know, from the time that, that Tim first said that he was going to step down, he got up here and it was sort of awkward. He says, I'm planning on um, stepping down as pastor. And people were like, what, you know, we thought he was going to retire. And, and I come to realize that Tim says things in certain ways because he wants to be honest. Uh, he didn't say he was going to retire. And, and there's a part of this that when you, when you leave a ministry, you don't retire from doing ministry. 
you know, you, you maybe you know you, you made you're a manufacturer of tires and you can um, you can retire from that and you don't build another tire in your life, which is probably fine. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you never retire. You you don't. This is who you are. And so when it comes to your faith, your Christian walk with God, your, your ministry, there's no such thing as retirement. And I remember just hearing him over the years, retirement really isn't part of Tim's vocabulary. Um, he he kind of saw it in his father. I never got to meet his father. Um, but his father's the one that set the example. And then, of course, Tim set the example to his kids. Um, by the way, Tim's five children came back to, to support their dad this day. Celebrate 41 years. 41 years as a pastor. That's rare. It really is. God has blessed Grace Point with pastors who have been here for a long time. Um, I'm the shortest one that has been here. Um, well, no, Josh is the shortest. Where are you, Josh? You're the short one. What am I thinking? Man. Well, anyway, what I'd like to do is I would like to ask Dan Dodd to come up and to say something. You didn't. I totally tricked you. You didn't even know he was coming up. Dan, take it away. Thanks. Hey, uh, my name is Dan. I get to be the youngest yet biggest of Tim Dodd's five children. Um, And uh, just a little bit about me. I'm married to my wife, Michelle. We have three of their four grandchildren. Uh, They stayed in Georgia because it's 80 there um, where we live. Um, my wife sent me a picture of them playing in the sprinkler in the driveway. It was 85. Uh, but I get to be a student pastor down there um, and do my best to lead students to see Jesus and to find a full life um, instead of a disconnected and unfulfilled life. I get to lead them to find a full life in Jesus to try to just do my best to point them there. And uh, I get to do that because I saw it my whole life um, from my dad. And I am beyond proud of him. Uh, I don't normally cry. It's going to happen. Amen. Ever since I became a dad, that first baby is born and you're just like, why am I crying? I was such a man before this. Um, It's true. Uh, But I'm beyond proud of my dad um, because I 100% believe that I am um, the son I am. I am the father I am. I am the husband I am. I am the pastor I am because I watched him my whole life. Um, 41 years, I'm only 30. Um, so the Sunday after I was born, because I'm the fifth one, who cares about the fifth one, they just brought me to church, um, to this building, because I think it was finished just before I was born. And so I spent my life in this building, and I spent my life um, watching him every Sunday morning and pulling on his um, suit jacket to go, can we please go home? And he's like, i got to talk to this person. i got to see this person. I need to make this person feel seen. And... and um, it's just because he valued relationships and people in the way that I think God values relationships and people and the way that God looks at each and every human being on this planet and says, man, I love them and I made them and I long for them to know me. And I think that's how he viewed people as well. And I want you to know that whatever you saw in this building of him doing that, he did it more so at home. Um, And he did it with all of us, all five of us. Um, which is why it's not a chore for us to be here. But instead, as soon as we found out it's his last Sunday, a group chat began of like, we're all there. Like, one's flying, one's driving, I'll pick you up, you pick me up, I'll drive you home. Um, Because we just have to be here. And I watched him serve faithfully and humbly. Um, And I watched him not care if he ever got the credit, um, which, I don't know about you, I'll serve... For a little while, I'll spend a little bit of a season putting people in front of me, being like, yes, I love this. I'm trying to be like Jesus. And after like a week, I'm like, who's going to notice? Please, someone. Um, I'm doing really good things over here. Would love to get some recognition. Um, Never once did I see him do that. Never once did I hear him complain about any single person um, ever. And uh, as a pastor who um, works with a lot of people, it's really easy to complain about people. Um, we're all humans and we're broken. Mm-hmm. And especially here, it's really gray and sad all the time. So, <laughs> um. <laughs> um, But I watched him serve and serve and serve. And I'm just like so proud of you, Dad. And uh, if I can make it half as long as you, I will consider myself have done a great job. 
And the last thing I'll say is this. When I think about my dad as my dad um, or as a pastor um, or as a husband, what I don't think of is like a highlight reel. Like I think some people, when they think about memories, it goes to like, oh, this trip where we went to this big thing and and this moment where my dad, um, the the room was, it was a huge room filled with hundreds or thousands of people. My dad gave this message. It's just like, bam, you know, hit people. And um, none of that is what I think of. It's just... Little things, small things that he did every single day, that he showed up every single day, that he made people feel seen every single day, that he made me feel seen every single day, that he came to every game, he came to every practice, even though I was the fifth one and I know you were tired because I have, I have three and I look at you and I'm like, how are you sane? Um, but just little things every single day and you just kept showing up, you kept bringing me along to drop something off for someone or to give someone something or to um, pick up some guy who, uh, I don't know, just got out of prison and bring him home for dinner and uh, let him look at my baseball cards and tell me which ones were good because I didn't know. And I just got to watch that every single day. And so, again, I I just want to say thank you for what you did here. And I know how many people you have blessed. And when I think about the way my grandpa live life where he would just pick up hitchhikers and bring them home and let them sleep in my dad's bed. Um, and I think about, as we sang Graves My Face, Graves My Face once, I pictured my grandma singing that song um, and then you singing it with her. And as I think about what God has done and the, like I said, nothing huge, I can't think of some huge highlight reel, but those small things, the way the gospel has spread because of you is probably unreal. And I know that someday you'll stand in front of Jesus and he'll say, well done. And, uh, and I know just from the songs he picked, he's probably sitting there uncomfortable with how much we're talking about him because uh, he picked songs that were like, in Christ alone, great is thy faithfulness, your goodness. And he's going to come up here, I'm sure, and say, hey, I am only who I am because of Jesus. And listen, I know that I am only who I am because of Jesus, but I am who I am because you showed me Jesus every single day. And I am so thankful for that. So... I'm going to welcome my dad up, and he can say whatever he wants to say. So how am I supposed to talk after that? Well, before I start talking, I want to say a couple of things. Uh, what were they now? Oh, um, <laughs> so many people ask me what I'm going to do now. And uh, uh, they say, you're going to still be around. I said, yeah, we're, we're not going to sell our house tomorrow. Maybe in two weeks, but no. No, no. Uh, we're going to be around for a while yet, and, uh, but not immediately. We're going to be traveling for a couple months, and uh, so we're going to be traveling to a warmer climate where Daniel is and uh, go visit one of my brothers. And so we, you, you may not see us for a couple months, but uh, we're, we'll be around. Will be around. The second thing is, um, as we came to this day and as we were planning for this day, they said, Do you want to speak? And I said, Yeah, for maybe 15 minutes. So uh, as I put together what I did, I go, Well, it's going to be a little bit more than 15 minutes. So they gave me a little bit more. They, I got 18 now. Because so. I didn't know Daniel was going to speak. But we'll, we'll try to get through this. So um, I stand here this morning. And my thoughts are summarized by this verse. It's in Psalms. If you memorize this verse, you'll memorize five verses. Because they're all the same. It says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. For His loving kindness, I put that word, endures forever. Now that word loving kindness, you go in different translations. There's one is mercy, one is... uh, Enduring love, there's uh, loyal love, uh, and it's a tough word for English people, translators, to go from Hebrew to English because it, it's such a wide, it covers such much, such a big chasm of concepts. It's the word kesed. And, and obviously it was, it was something that was em- emphasized to the nation of Israel because this is a songbook. The psalm, Psalms are a songbook. And, uh, but it just encapsulized all that the Lord God of Israel had promised to them 
His love for them, His mercy for them. So, when you say, which which word is it? I said, yes, it's all of those words. The most one I like is loving kindness. So, what am I thankful for? First of all, I'm thankful for the family He put me in. I'm going to talk more about that a little later. Okay. I'm also thankful for the wife He gave me. Now, there was some convincing or... uh, it, it, you know that I had to win her over. I did. I, and there's some stories I could tell, but I don't have enough time to tell all those stories. And actually, I convinced her mom before her. And there's a story about that, but I don't have time to tell you about that. I'm also thankful for the five children that the Lord has given me. And I really appreciate them being here. And uh, love each one. They're all different. You know, if you've had more than one child, you know, they're all not the same. They're all different, but they're all special. And they all have their gifts and abilities that the Lord has given them, and they're all serving the Lord and using their gifts and abilities that the Lord has given them. And I'm thankful for the spouses that have come along as well. And uh, they have been added to our family, and they're great as well. I thank, you for, I thank Him for the guidance in my life. And uh, there's a story don't know if it's true, of a young farmer. He was out in the fields and he was praying to the Lord, Lord, show me what you want me to do. And he looked up in the sky and there were clouds up there and he thought he saw two letters, P-C. And he go, oh, I'm supposed to preach Christ. I'm supposed to go places and preach about the Lord. And so he went to his pastor and he says, Pastor, this is what happened. I've been praying and this is what happened. I saw it in the sky. And, and the wise pastor says, Son, how do you know it doesn't mean plant corn? I, I never looked for something like that, but as, as time went along, uh, the Lord just prompted little decisions here and there each day. And um, I, I thought about what Abraham's servant in, did in the Old Testament. Okay, You can read the story in Genesis 24. But he said this, I, being in the way... The Lord led me. What he meant by that was, I did what God was doing, wanted me to do as much as I knew, and then the Lord kept directing me. And that's how it was with me. A little bit at a time. Now, some decisions were more important than others, but a little bit at a time, the Lord directed me. And and eventually, He brought me here as a part-time youth pastor in 1978. And I served that uh, for 12 years. I, I learned a little bit about youth pastoring. Much different than what it is. Josh is doing a great job. Uh, I didn't have 70, but I had a dozen or so. One of them, at least one of them is here today. Two, at least two. And then he directed me a little bit at a time to become the associate pastor here. And I've been serving in that regard since. And I'm here today to give thanks to the Lord, for He is good for His loving kindness endures forever. So what have I learned about all these years? What, what, have, I, what have I learned? Okay. Well, the Lord has taught me many things. First of all, I praise the Lord that He brought me to Himself in salvation. Tomorrow will be my birthday. My spiritual birthday. Now, how do I know that? Well, my dad led me to the Lord when I was about six and a half years old. And uh, there's a story behind that, but I don't have time to tell all that. (laughs) When you get old, you have lots of stories. But even at six and a half, sometimes that's been challenged. Can children really know? And and, uh, I recognized that day that I was a sinner and that Christ died for me and that I needed to trust Him as my Savior. And so I did. Children's ministry are so important. I thank you for all of you who are involved. And I pray all of you who aren't will be involved. Well, some of you can. But children's ministry is so important. And then as a teenager at Harvey Cedars Bible Conference, Pastor Blasco would take teenagers down there from Grace Baptist Church. That's the place where I dedicated my life to the Lord. I made him Lord of my life. I said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'll do. But the most strategic people who influenced my, my life were my parents. There they are. 
That's their wedding day. I don't remember that day, even though I'm way back in Babylon, you know. <laughs> but that wedding day, September 6, 1947, three months earlier, the Lord brought them to Himself. That's when the Lord saved them. And they, the Lord worked in their life in a marvelous way. And uh, they took seriously. And they realized that they were responsible. They're primarily responsible for the, uh, their children knowing the Lord. And they took seriously Deuteronomy 6, 5-7 through that says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. They shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. I'm one of six children. Five boys and a girl. I'm the third uh, boy. My sister is right next behind me. And so they took seriously... The, the fact that God's Word is true. And they instilled, they wanted to instill in us the truth of God's Word. And here's the results of that. Four of the five sons at one point, and one still is, I still am for one more day or two, full-time pastors. And the one that isn't, he's an elder in his church, has been an elder for a long time, and he has a strategic ministry to pastors and to churches and the individual people. And my sister taught Christian school for many, many years and when she moved to near St. Louis, she got involved with her local church in Awana and just ministering to other people. So how did they do that? How were they so successful? Well, my siblings and I came up with maybe at least eight. There's probably more. And I'll try to go through these fairly quickly. And I've learned from them. And I've tried to implement some of these things. First, they spent family time reading the Word of God. I don't think we did it every day, but it was a regular, a regular time. And it showed us the importance of the Word of God, the importance of, of Jesus Christ by taking time to do it during the week because it wasn't just Sunday that we read the Word of God. We just didn't go to church on Sunday. There, It was something that we did every day or regularly. And we used something like our daily bread, but in this, in this devotional book, every day there were one or two missionaries that you could pray for. So we would read the Scriptures, Dad would read the devotional, and then we would say, who, who wants to read, pray for this missionary? I remember one, one of them was Spirozodiades. My oldest brother took him because he's the only one that could say the name. But we would pray for missionaries. So that was the second thing. And I implemented that in my own children too. We had a missionary notebook. We had pictures of missionaries. And as we spent time, they would each pick a piece of paper and pray for that one missionary. And we didn't pray for them all every day. It was just that we rotated them and we prayed for missionaries. And I came across this prayer just the other day. And I said, man, too bad I didn't have this one. Not that it didn't, you know, it would have made a difference. But uh, it says, Lord, give the name of the, your child the wisdom to know what's right. The courage to do what's right, even when it's hard. And as I was thinking about that, I go, wait a minute. I could apply that. Lord, Give me the wisdom to know what's right, the courage to do what's right, even when it's wrong, even when it's hard. It's a great prayer, and I, maybe you can use that as well. The third thing that we, we often did was we memorized Scripture. Dad would bring home these white pieces of cardboard from, from work, and he would write verses on them, and then he'd put them up near the table in the kitchen, and so every morning we'd eat breakfast, we would read those verses, and those verses I never have to review. Trying to learn a verse now is like getting something in concrete. But, so it's important. And, and that's, again, 
children's ministry, memorizing God's word. And then, besides the family time around Scripture, um, they spent time with, with us. We, Dad would come home from work, uh, especially during the summertime, and we all liked to play ball, so we'd get the balls and gloves, and, and we'd try to get the whitest ball we had, and we'd go to the ball field, and neighborhood guys, boys would come out, and we would play until we couldn't see the ball anymore. Oh, yeah, we can still see. we got good eyes. No, no, he finally said, no, it's dark. It's 9.30. We can't play anymore. The CEO of Dick's Sporting Goods, Ed Sack, was one of those boys. I met him not too long ago. He was home. He was here in the area because of a funeral, and I met him in the parking lot. I gave him a couple pieces of literature, and, and Ed said, I remember your dad were playing till ball till dark. So this one has already been alluded to. We learn people are important. People are important. Dan, you mentioned um, that uh, my dad my dad used to hitchhike. I, th- I don't think it's legal anymore. But he showed his thumb and his thumb would like He was great. And so whenever there was a hitchhiker, he would often pick him up. And as Dan, you mentioned, sometimes they'd bring him, he, he'd bring him home. He did this one time with a young man who was underage. I think he probably had run away from home. He brought him home and he called the state trooper. State state trooper came. The young man was very upset. He was mad at Dad for calling the state trooper. The state trooper tried to Tell the young man, no, this he did the right thing. A few years later, that same young man came back and thanked Dad. Now, Dad, when he picked up a, a hitchhiker, he had a Bible in the in the seat next to him. He said, "Hey, can you hold this?" You know, when he. <laughs> I, I learned from that, but you know, he was always ready to tell people about the Lord because everyone was important. And uh, we had this chorus that we would often sing, The Lord is good. Tell it wherever you go. The Lord is good. Tell it that others may know. Tell of his blessings. Tell of his love. Tell how he's coming from heaven above. The Lord is good. Tell it wherever you go. And so they, they instilled in us that, but they also realized that how important it was for them, our children, their children to hear the same thing from other people. All right. So they brought us to church. We went to Sunday school. We went to church. We went to youth group. Uh, we we heard the truth of word God from other people, other godly people, and in, it included, you know, uh, camp. Uh, they somehow, even as as young children, we were able. I was able to go to Bayuka, and I instilled the same thing with my children. You know, when they got old enough, I sent them to camp. And the first year, some of them said, I don't know, I don't know anybody. But when we go to pick them up, uh, at least one of them was hiding under a cabin. She didn't want to come home. I think it was her. So it's important for them to hear the same message from other people. And then with my parents, they shared their spiritual journey with us. How the Lord, like for my dad... Uh, before he was, before the Lord saved him, he was in World War II. He was a stevedore, and he was over in uh, southern Italy. And he walked on the ship to go get a shower. While he was in the shower, the ship got bombed. The men he walked by in the bunks were all killed. He was spared. The Lord spared him, or else I wouldn't be here. And but they they shared what how the Lord was working in their life, and and Dad. Worked at a dairy milk plant, and I don't know if I'd ever do this, but he was bold at this. He wore he wore coveralls, and he put on the coveralls his name, Saint Harry. <laughs> now that created some conversation, and sometimes he didn't always act like a saint, and so he'd have to explain that. But it gave, you know, just opportunities for people 
to talk about the Lord. And they were, they were, they were quick to say something to us if they did something wrong, to say, forgive me if you can do that. But they encouraged us as children to spend time with the Lord. They gave me this first Bible that I still have. So my parents not only taught us by God's Word, with words, but we caught it by their living. They demonstrated it. So, here's a, just a couple of things that I've continued to learn. First, the Christian life is a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes when I was growing up, I was thinking, oh God, i got to check off this. i got to read my Bible. i got to pray. i got to obey my parents. i got to maybe tell other people about the Lord. And it was kind of a checklist. But that's not what it is. The motive for me and the motive for you, we need to say, okay, Lord, I'm doing this because I love you. I care about you. I want to thank you for what you've done. I want other people to see Christ in you. And then the second thing was, is that questions are good. Some people might perceive questions as challenging authority. You don't believe that? Yes, you should do that. But questions are good because questions show that you are someone's thinking. We need to be thinking people, not just people of faith, but we need to be thinking people, people that understand and being able to articulate why we believe and what we believe. So now as a grandparent, what can I do? Well, just like my parents, continue to pray for children and grandchildren. My mom was a great prayer warrior. Even though she couldn't do much of anything, we all knew she was praying for us. And that's what we can do as grandparents and as parents as well. I tell people, sometimes I can't go to sleep at night, and so I'm laying down and I start praying for my children. I pray for the oldest one, Christy, and his, her husband, and, and Amy, and then Heather, and then Mark, and Daniel never gets prayed for. <laughs> so I have to reverse the order sometimes. But pray for your, your children and your grandchildren. Encourage them. And as, as being a pastor here for so many years, I've, I've learned so much uh, from Pastor Blasco. And uh, I was a, a green young guy, just kind of out of seminary one year, and he taught me a lot. And I appreciate him, and I'll thank him. He'll be here in person next service, along with her, his wife, uh, Joanne, and, and preteens at Grace Baptist. But... It's so important as, as, as the leadership of the church, and I appreciate all the, the two, two pastors in 41 years, that's unusual, but all the elders and the deacons over the years, how much they work together to move forward God's work here. It's such an important thing to do that. And I appreciate that, all the important things that they, they work together to help further the work here. And so this verse is kind of a verse that I've, taken on is my life verse. It says, Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things the Lord has done for you. Well, I'm going to just ask you to be patient with two more things that we had planned. Well, one more thing we had planned. And one of them is, is really, it's, uh, it's old school. Um, it's a song from back in your day. Um, so it's like, it's like right up your alley, what you remember growing up. And we have some, some photos, a little slideshow of that. Um, and then afterwards, we just want to stand around here and pray and dismiss the service. All right. So if we could show that and then, uh, then we'll, then we'll get together.
gone before us, line the way. Cheering on the faithful, encouraging the weary, their lives a stirring testament to God's sustaining grace. Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race not only for the prize, but as those who've gone before us, let us leave to those behind us the hand of faithfulness passed on through godly Josh, I can ask you to come down and, and the elders who are here today, we're just going to pray for you. Actually, I'm going to pray. They're going to stand in solidarity and place their hands on you and weigh you down like we do when we... I'll let you get in here. Um, Heavenly Father, I just pray for Tim. And I ask for him, for Sharon, for their family, that you would be guiding them in the future. The way that you have for them, you have got a way prepared for them. We know that. You you say that in Scripture. So I pray that you would help them in in all of their ways, that they would acknowledge you. Lord, guide them, help them be involved in in honoring you. And I pray that you would use them well. Um, You would use Tim well, even as he takes his steps out of this building into other places. And and I pray that we um, we would have 
great, wonderful opportunities to share fellowship with him many more times. And, and Lord, should you move them south, uh, I pray that, that they would find a, just a, a great area to be involved with um, serving you and, and with wonderful friends and um, ways to influence people for Christ. So Lord, we thank you for all the years, the many years that, that Tim has, um, has been involved in that you've used him here at Grace Point. We just ask you to continue to do that in his life and also in our church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. I'll let you go first. And you guys are all dismissed. You can come crowd around him and huddle around him. <laughs>